God, we confess together this morning that you are the one we need. So many times we go running after trying to find what only you can give in other places. Lord, we say that you're all we need, but yet we don't live like And so this morning we come to you asking for your mercy, asking that as we've just been singing, that you would change our hearts, that you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would come more and more and more to enjoy you for the God that you are, to know what it means to have the blessing of being in your family. God, that you would make us more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we submit to your word knowing that that's the, that's the means you've given us to be conformed. We come humbly, we bow before you, and we ask that as you speak, God, that you would give us willing hearts to submit, to welcome what you have to say, to both hear your warnings, but also to receive your love. God, we bow before you this morning, asking that you would transform us. Lord, would what we do here not just be something in word only, but what would what, what be happening here this morning would be the power of your Holy Spirit using the beauty of your word to draw us to your son, Jesus. God, we need you. We need you. And we confess that you are all that we need. So fill us up this morning. Fill us with your grace. Fill us with your presence. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. As you are finding your seat, I would invite you to take your Bible out to Matthew chapter 6, where you've already heard read uh, verses 1 to 18. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, As we continue in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we've been in for uh, the last few weeks, Jesus opens up with these sobering words in Matthew 6, 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, the constant temptation for all of us is to forget that there is a Father in heaven who cares about us, who knows us, and who loves us deeply. And when we forget that we have the Father in heaven, we become insecure. And our insecurities lead to insincerity. Our insecurities lead to insincerity. Uh, The movie Aladdin, the Disney movie Aladdin, introduces us to a character whose whole life is full of lies precisely because he is so insecure. Uh, As you trace through the movie, you learn that Aladdin is a thief. You might even say he's a con artist, that he's going around in his life totally faking it. And lie after lie after lie, what you see is a young man who is totally insecure. He cannot believe that anyone would accept him, that anyone would love him if they knew who he really was. And Aladdin believes that the only one who can look after him is himself. Uh, The reason that Aladdin is so insecure 
is because he's an orphan. He is a boy without a father. And without a father, he has shifted the responsibility onto his own shoulders to provide all of his needs. When Adam and Eve, the first humans, turned away from God and they sinned, they became like the prodigal son, going out trying to find away from their father's house some sense of satisfaction, something that would make uh, something that would meet their needs. But in rebelling against God and turning away from His good fatherly provision, they became spiritual orphans. They stepped outside of the fatherly care of God and they shifted onto their own shoulders the responsibility to provide for all their needs. And guys, every single one of us, it doesn't matter how good our earthly father was, every single one of us have turned away from the Father in heaven. Every single one of us have stepped outside of his fatherly care and the responsibility, the burden to provide for our lives has shifted onto our shoulders. And it is a burden that you and I cannot carry. We go looking somewhere else for that which can only be found in God, and it crushes us. So this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, 1 to 18, Jesus is doing two things. On the one hand, Jesus is warning us. He's showing us the devastating effects of what happened when we forget that God is our Father. Jesus is going to show us that those insecurities that we walk in outside of God's fatherly fatherly care lead us into insincerity. But here's the other thing Jesus is doing. Jesus is also showing us the blessings of walking with God the Father. He's showing us that if there is a Father in heaven who cares about us, who knows us, and who loves us all the way down, then we don't have to be afraid. Our lives are actually not hanging in the balance. But if we forget, if we forget the Father, then the pressure's on. And so this morning, as we work through Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, we're going to look at four things that we must beware of. The first is this. Beware of forgetting that our Father sees. Beware of forgetting that our Father sees. In verses 3 and 4, I'm going to read sort of a string of verses here from this section. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus says this, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Then in verse 6, jump to verse 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So in all three of these instances, Jesus is highlighting the fact that we shouldn't live our lives to be seen by others. Why? Because we have a heavenly Father who sees us. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the fact that God sees everything, that he sees both the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, that, that all of life is laid bare before him, that is both simultaneously one of the most terrifying things and also one of the most comforting things. It's terrifying because I know some of the thoughts that pass through my mind. I know some of the things that, that rumble around in my heart, and I certainly do not want all those things broadcast for everyone else to see. And yet it's all laid bare before God as He sees our hearts. He knows our thoughts. Everything that happens, happens before His all-seeing eye. But it's also comforting. It's also comforting because those moments when we're not getting recognized, when we really are sacrificing ourselves, those moments when we take the high road and nobody says thanks, Uh, Those moments when we actually prioritize our relationship with God, but the people around us just totally misunderstand us. Guys, God sees all of that. He takes note of it all. Nothing slips past our Father. Uh, We have these little two little security cameras that we've installed in both of our kids' rooms. And normally this is a great thing. You know, it gives us sort of a peace of mind. Uh, you know, it's nice. You, you don't have to actually get up from the couch to go and make sure that the kids are nice and safe and asleep in their beds or whatever. Uh, however, uh, recently, Allie sent me a picture, and it was a picture of the monitor that has both screens from both the security cameras side by side. And, and on, the, on the picture was a snapshot of one of the last moments that the security cameras had caught. Uh, on one side... It was Allie frantically trying to keep our two kids alive, while on the other side, it was me fast asleep taking a nap in Benjamin's bed. These security cameras see it all. They catch both the good and the bad. And guys, with God, it's it's the exact same way. He sees everything, both the bad, but he also sees the good He takes note of everything when you and I are craving to be seen, craving to be acknowledged, craving to be honored for the good things we've done. We can know that our Heavenly Father sees it all. So why do we have to beware of forgetting? Well, if I forget that my Father sees, then I'll constantly have to be trying to turn the spotlight on myself. My whole life will become a project of trying to earn the approval and the validation of others. Uh, Sometimes this can just look like typical boasting and bragging, sort of beating our chest. But guys, there's a lot more subtle forms of this. For example, self-pity is just one more form of needing the approval and the validation of others. You know, in my unhappiness, I just want somebody to care about me, somebody to take notice of me. And then you just have your garden variety people pleasing, right? Where, where you just could never do anything that would offend anybody else. Why? Because our life has just become one great big project of image management. That I get worn out. I get totally weary, constantly trying to posture, constantly trying to position myself, constantly trying to make sure that every single person in my life thinks well of me. And Jesus is inviting us into another way. Jesus is saying, because our Father sees, we don't have to live to be seen by others. We don't have to be a slave of the approval, the opinion, or the validation of other people. 
Jesus is inviting us into a life where we can be honest, where we can be ourselves, and where we can live for His glory knowing this, that even if nobody else sees, our Father sees. So first and foremost this morning, beware of forgetting that our Father sees. Second today, beware of forgetting that our Father knows. Beware of forgetting that our Father knows. Uh, We're going to look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not forbidding long prayers. All right, We know, for example, that Jesus p- prayed through the night. So what is Jesus getting at? Here's what Jesus is getting at. The false notion that prayer is just one more way for us to control our lives. When Jesus prayed through the night, it wasn't to twist God's arm. It was to submit the human will to the divine will. When Jesus prayed through the night, when we see Jesus open up his prayer life to us, we don't see him constantly trying to get the Father to acquiesce to his ideas about what would be good in life. No, what we see is Jesus constantly trying to submit his life to the good plan of God the Father. Uh, I wonder if you've ever worked for someone who was a micromanager. Or maybe you would be willing to admit that you are a micromanager. Uh, if you ask a micromanager why they are that way, they'll tell you that it's because they don't believe that anybody else can do it as good as they can. And so they don't entrust anything to anybody else because they don't trust anybody else. They run around scampering, worrying, driving themselves into the ground because they won't trust resources to anybody else and they believe that it's all up to them to get it done. And here's the scary thing, guys. When we don't believe that there's a Father in heaven who knows what we need before we even ask, then we end up trying to micromanage God. We won't entrust anything to Him because we don't trust Him. We won't let go of the reins of control of our life because we're afraid that he won't uh, make our life the exact way that we want it to. And so here's what Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us that prayer doesn't exist for us to control God. Prayer exists for us to learn to trust God. Prayer does not exist for us to learn to control God. Prayer exists for us to learn to trust God. Now, here's a question that you and I must answer. Uh, It's a question that actually gets right at the heart of what Christianity really is. Why is it that God should listen to us? Or or here's maybe another way of asking the same question. Uh, Over over here in verse 9... When Jesus teaches us to pray, and the first two words out of his mouth are, Our Father, how is it possible that Jesus would invite us to pray to God as our Father? However we answer this question, 
says a lot about what we believe about Christianity. Why are we welcome to talk to God? Why does He listen to us? The Puritan John Owen writes this in his book, Communion with God. Because of sin, no man in his natural state has fellowship with God. God is light, and we are darkness. What communion has light with darkness? God is life. We are dead. So what agreement can there be between God and man? Our first relationship with God was so lost by sin that there was no possibility in ourselves of any return to God. Because we turned away from God. We broke the relationship with Him. We stepped outside of His fatherly care and became spiritual orphans. So why is it that when Jesus teaches us to pray, He can teach us to pray our Father? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus, the one who teaches us to pray our Father, is the only one who could bring us back to God the Father. And guys, really, if you really want to know, this is the essence of Christianity. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man because only Jesus stood in the gap, as it were, and took the penalty for our sins into himself on the cross. And only Jesus lived a perfect life. At every single point in Jesus' life, he obeyed God the Father. And now, for you and I, if we place our trust in Jesus, if he becomes our mediator, if he becomes our representative, if he is now the go-between between the God who we rebelled against and ourselves, we stand before God the Father as perfect as Jesus himself. We receive his righteousness as a gift. And so what does that mean for prayer? Well, it means that before, our prayers had no right to get to God. Our prayers had no access to God. We had no right to go running into his presence and spewing our hearts before him, expecting that he would listen to us. But in Christ, with him as our representative, with Jesus as our mediator, our go-between, we are invited to run into the arms of our Father, to cast our burdens upon him, and to know that he listens. I want you to think about your prayers like this. Uh, imagine your prayers like those little bank teller machines. You know those little machines that you put the little capsule in and shoots it over to the attendant like this, right? Outside of Jesus Christ, when we're standing in our own righteousness that is not real righteousness, when we stand before God in our sin, we put the, put the prayers in the machine and they've got nowhere to go. We have no access to God. We have no authority to come into His presence. But then in Jesus Christ, when we've put our trust in Him, when we've stepped outside of trusting ourselves and we're clothed in His righteousness, now we have a mediator. We have a go-between. We have a representative. And we are welcome to run into the arms of our Father. But sadly, 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 if you're anything like me, if you're anything like me, 
Even though you have been welcomed through Christ to God the Father, many times we slip out of actually walking with God as our Father. We step outside of His fatherly care again. And so why is this something that we must be aware of? Why is this something that we must be aware of? If we forget that there's a Father who knows what we need before we even ask, then we will feel the need to control the outcomes of our lives. We will have to micromanage every single area of our life. And when we are micromanaging every area of our life, we put unrealistic expectations upon ourselves. The pressure's on, and we always have to perform. And normally, uh, if we're the kind of person that is ruggedly trying to control our own lives, it turns into us feeling the need to control other people as well. We put pressure on people. We manipulate people. We lie to people. Why? Because we need them to get us what we want. And then even more striking than this, what Jesus is saying in this passage today, not only do we try to control ourselves, not only do we try to control others, but we even try to control God. We want Him to work on our timeline. We want Him to pour His power into our life so that our will can be done. What we want is not so much God the Father. What we want is God the butler. The God that if we just put the right amount of pressure on Him, if we just posture ourselves in just the right way, He'll have to give us what we really want. He might do it reluctantly, but finally we'll break through and He'll make our dreams come true. Guys, you know how butlers work? Maybe. I don't know. I've never had one. I imagine that they're supposed to do what you tell them. You know, I imagine that at every turn, they're there to wait on you. They're there to make your will come about, to make your dreams come true. And Jesus is saying, that's how the Gentiles viewed prayer. They thought if they just kept babbling on and on and on, if they just prayed long, 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 long prayers, that if they just did the right things, if they just put themselves in the right posture, if they applied applied the right amount of pressure, then finally this cosmic butler in the sky would give them what they want. But that, Jesus says, is not biblical prayer. So what is biblical prayer? Biblical prayer is not seeking to control God. Biblical prayer is learning to trust God. And we need help from Jesus on this, which is why he continues in verses 9 through 14 saying this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A few thoughts on this prayer. Jesus, first and foremost, is showing us that when we pray, we're acknowledging that God is God. We're saying that He is the Father who we love, who we adore, who we worship. And then so far from Jesus teaching us that prayer is something that helps us maintain control, the very thing that Jesus invites us to pray is that God's kingdom would come, that His will would be be done on the earth. This is not about 
God pouring out his power so that my will can be done. This is me coming up under submission to his kingdom, his rule, his will. And then Jesus invites us to pray to God for our daily needs. Guys, to pray for daily bread is a very humbling experience. To acknowledge that the pressure is not on us to provide for our life. The pressure is not on us to make something of ourselves. But that even the things as small as the bread we eat for lunch comes from the good hand of a father that keeps us dependent upon him, that keeps us trusting that we need his every provision. And then Jesus invites us to pray to God for forgiveness, that as we confess our sins and receive mercy afresh, we are reminded that this father we're praying to is so much better than we could ever have dreamed. And then this last couplet of temptation and evil is here to remind us, guys, just how much we need God. We would not withstand temptation for one second without the grace of God. We would not withstand the power of, of evil or the evil one for even one minute without the power of God behind us. We are so dependent upon our Father. And so this Lord's Prayer, as it's called, this is not us learning to control God. This is, learning, this is us learning to trust God, to trust His will and His rule, to trust His daily provision, to trust His forgiveness, to trust His power against all the enemies in our lives. No, no, no. This is not, this is not us learning to treat God as a butler. This is us learning the joy of having God as our Father. Jesus is saying that because God is a Father who knows what we need, we aren't responsible for controlling the outcomes of our lives. He knows what we need. And so we can rest in His arms. Third, beware of forgetting that our Father forgives. Beware of forgetting that our Father forgives. Verses 14 and 15 say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're talking this morning about the danger of forgetting that God is our Father. And so Jesus just unpacks one more way that if we forget that there's a Father in heaven who forgives, then we become hypocrites who, after saying we've received forgiveness, aren't willing to show forgiveness to anybody else. The most powerful story I think that's ever been told in the history of the world about the hypocrisy of unforgiveness comes from to us from Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. And I just want to read it to you because it's, it's, it's just the best story that's ever been told about the hypocrisy of unforgiveness. Jesus says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had 
and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So what do we have up to this point? We have a guy who had an enormous debt that he could never have paid, that the, the moment comes when it's time for him to pay and he can't, and he falls down on his knees and he cries out for mercy, and the king shows mercy. He forgives the whole thing, not just a delay. No, he just wipes it out, says, you're forgiven. But then Jesus continues. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow, fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As you see what Jesus has done in this story, he set it up so that this one guy, he receives this forgiveness from the king, this enormous debt has been forgiven, and then he gets the opportunity to imitate the king. That after he's received this mercy, this forgiveness from the king, he's given the perfect setup to turn around and show that forgiveness to somebody else, but instead, he refuses. This is the height of hypocrisy. There might be no more gross hypocrisy in the world than for a Christian who says, Jesus died for my sins and I'm forgiven, but you must pay. There might be no greater hypocrisy in the world than for us to sing, Jesus paid it all, he paid my debt, but, but I want you to pay yours. So why is this something that we must be aware of? Well, if we forget that our Father forgives then we'll go around having to try and make others pay. If we forget that our Father forgives, then we'll constantly be holding everybody in our life accountable and making them owe up to every little thing that they've done. Guys, Jesus is inviting us to come up under the forgiveness of our Father, the one who's taken away a debt that we could never have paid that he's forgiven us more debt than we could even think to rack up in this life. And now we get to turn around and imitate the king to show that same forgiveness that we have received. Now, I want to be clear. What this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that you and I can't engage 
people who sin against us and who offend us. It's not what this means. Uh, David Pallison, who died a few years ago, gives us these two helpful categories for processing forgiveness in our lives. Here's the two categories. The first is forgiveness in attitude. And then the second is forgiveness in transaction. So what is forgiveness in attitude? Forgiveness in attitude is where we go before God and we go ahead and forgive that person between us and God. That before we've ever engaged them, before we've ever approached the person who sinned against us or offended us, we settle in our hearts before God that we have already forgiven them. And so then what is forgiveness in transaction? Well, forgiveness in transaction is after we have experienced forgiveness in attitude, then we go to the person, but we're not going to them trying to make them pay. We're going to them to try to restore the relationship. This is godly wisdom from David Pallison. Normally, when you and I try to approach somebody who's offended us, we go in hot, we go in angry, we go in bitter. And what David Pallison is showing us to do, he's actually driving us back to the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, you talk to God about the debts that you owe God and the debts that you're going to forgive other people first. You start there. And then when you go to that person, you're no longer hot anymore. You're no longer angry. You're no longer, you're no longer going to them trying to make them pay. And so now you can go seeking restoration. You can go knowing that it doesn't matter how they respond. You're no longer hanging in, a, in the balance with your scores on whether that person listens to you and is won back to you again. Guys, this is the life of walking with a Father in heaven who forgives. The responsibility to settle every score is not on our shoulders. That if we could trust Him with our sins, then we can trust Him with the sins that have been committed against us. Finally today, beware of forgetting that our Father rewards. Beware of forgetting that our Father rewards. I want to read a string of verses again. If you have your Bible there, verse 2. Verse 2 says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And then verse 5 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And then in verse 16, it says, And when you fast, not, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See, there is a certain reward that comes with being seen by others. There is a certain reward that comes with getting patted on the back and having people uh, like us and feel good about us. There, there is a certain reward that comes with that. But, but here's what Jesus is saying, Beware, beware, beware. If that is the reward that we live for, then that is all we will get. And so each time, Jesus contrasts with the promise of a reward from God. 
At the end of verses 4, at the end of verse 6, and at the end of verse 18, it's the exact same phrase. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Jesus is inviting us to trust the fatherly heart of God. Guys, we are so quick to go out and try to find in something or someone else what can only come from God the Father. But Jesus is saying, if you try to live for the approval of man, guess what? You might get it, but that's all you'll get. But if you live to honor your Father in heaven, if you live before his eyes, not only will you get the reward from him, but his reward is so much better. Uh, there's this scene in the movie Gladiator where Commodus, the emperor, has the opportunity to kill Maximus, his rival. And just at the moment where you feel like he's going to take action, you realize that Commodus notices that everybody in the arena is watching him. And all the crowd starts saying, live, 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 live. And in that moment, we find out what Commodus lives for. Commodus the emperor lived for the approval of man. Here's this guy who's the emperor. He has all the power in the world. He can do whatever he wants. But in that instance, he is stripped from his power because he lives for the praise that comes from other people. And so instead of killing Maximus, which is what he so desperately wants to do, he goes along with the crowd. And really, guys, our lives are basically just made up of a million moments just like that. We can live for the approval of others. We can live for the acclaim and the validation from other people. But that's all we'll get. But instead, we can trust the fatherly heart of God. We can live before the face of the Father. And not only will He reward us, but He will reward us with something that actually satisfies our hearts. Here's kind of what I mean by this. Different rewards and different prizes are suited for different people. You know, you go to an event where they have some prizes. Uh, there might be one that's a, you know, a, a day at the spa, another one that's tickets to the game, another one that's uh, you know, a new t-shirt and a pair of socks. Right? These different prizes, they are clearly suited for different people. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I mean, if, if I won a, a day at the spa, it really wouldn't mean a lot to me. Uh, somebody else in my family would be enjoying that prize. And Jesus is inviting us to see this morning the praise of man that we think we want, the validation from people that we think we need, that actually doesn't suit our soul. It's not what we were made for. It can't satisfy us. But guys, God the Father, He made us. He knows us. He understands our hearts. He knows what will satisfy us. And so the reward that he gives, not only does it satisfy, but it satisfies forever. So why is this something that we must be aware of? 
Why is this something that we must be aware of? If we forget that the Father rewards, then we will go about living our life with our main goal as getting what we think we're owed. Guys, here is the saddest thing that happens. The people in our lives who we could enjoy and love, we actually have to turn them into our rewarders whose very existence we see as fulfilling our need to be praised. The people in our life who we could sit back, enjoy, and see as God's good gifts in our lives, we turn them into an object to give us the validation that we desperately long for. And so Jesus is inviting us into a life where knowing that we're getting all we need from the Father, knowing that He is going to see us and know us and take care of us, we don't have to get it from somewhere else. We don't have to seek to get from somewhere or someone else what can only come from God. So in conclusion this morning, I want to just talk briefly about the three different reasons why I find that we are prone to neglect the fatherhood of God. Here's three, three reasons why we are prone to neglect the fatherhood of God. The first is this. The first is bad beliefs. Bad beliefs. Maybe somewhere along the way, we were taught that God is harsh and demanding. Maybe somewhere along the way, we were taught that God is powerful, but He is distant. And He is not involved in the everyday aspects of my life. Maybe somewhere along the way, we were taught that God is good to people who are good, and He's mean to people who are bad. Maybe somewhere along the way, we were taught that Yeah, maybe God will love us, but he'll love us when we start loving him. These are all bad beliefs that are not true about who the the Father in heaven really is. Another reason that we neglect the fatherhood of God is what we might call bad hearts. What we might call bad hearts. You know, some of us, we, we hear about this gift of grace but we just so badly want to earn something that we keep putting God back in the place of our boss who pays us instead of our Father who loves us. Maybe we're just so addicted to earning that approval of focusing on our behavior, both the good behavior and the bad behavior, that we keep putting God back in the place of the judge as opposed to the Father who cares about us. Or like we talked about earlier, maybe maybe we just so badly want our life to turn out a certain way that we just keep putting God in that place of butler instead of being able to trust Him as the Father who knows what we need. And so it's our twisted hearts that can't enjoy and embrace God as Father. But then a final reason that many of us neglect the fatherhood of God 
bad beliefs, bad hearts. The third is bad experiences. Bad experiences. Maybe we didn't have a father who loved us, a father who cared about us, a father who was present in our lives. And so it's just so hard for us to believe that God could actually care. Maybe it's not your father, but maybe just some authority figure in in your life took advantage of you in some way, abused you in some way. And so it's just so hard to believe that this God who made us all and who holds the earth together, it's so hard to believe that he could be a gentle father who cares for us tenderly, who watches over our lives. And so because we've had these bad experiences, we are robbed of the joy of knowing the fatherly kindness of God. Uh, In my life, it has mainly been number two. Uh, I I have good parents. I, I feel like I've been taught pretty good things. But my heart has been twisted Uh, hypocrisy has been this sin that I just feel like I've had to repent of over and over and over and over again. And when I look back over my life, there was this long season where the way that my hypocrisy manifested itself was through me feeling like I had to tell lies all the time. I go back and I think about it and I'm like, in these different situations, why did I feel the need to lie? Why didn't I feel like I could be honest? Why did I feel like I had to fake it and, and, and be somebody I wasn't? Well, as I thought more and more about it, it was simply because I wasn't walking in the joy of knowing the security of God as my father. I was living as an orphan spiritually when God had sent his son to draw me back into his house. And so I don't know what it is for you. I don't know your experience. I know this, that all of us, Because we have stepped outside of the fatherly care of God, all of us have ways in which we are wonky when it comes to walking with God our Father. I don't know if it's bad beliefs, I don't know if it's bad hearts, I don't know if it's bad experiences, but every single one of us in here this morning need to be washed over afresh with the grace of God. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Yes, this, this passage starts with beware, and it does present the desperate effects of what happened when we're not walking with God as Father. But this passage also presents us the blessings of knowing God as our Father, that we can pray to this God in heaven and know that He welcomes us, that He provides our daily needs, that He forgives our sins, that He knows what we need before we even ask. Jesus is inviting us into a better way, a life where our joy, our Comfort, our peace, our security, they don't come from how we live. The pressure is not on our shoulders. We can rest in the arms of our Father. Let's pray. Lord, I know that I have spent so much of my life misunderstanding who you are, not seeing that if you are willing to send your own son to come into this world and die for my sins, 
that it must mean that you're a father who cares about me. It must mean that you're willing to get involved into the nitty gritty of my life. It must mean that you're a God who gives gifts to your kids, not a boss who demands payment. And so Lord, this morning, I just pray over everyone here that we would all come to know you as Father, that we would all come to rest in your arms. God, that we wouldn't have to live our lives feeling like the pressure is on us, that we wouldn't live our lives feeling like our lives hang in the balance and it's all on our shoulders. God, that you draw us in, heal us, heal our hearts, God, heal our hearts, reform our beliefs, wash over our bad experiences and draw us into the joy of knowing you as Father. Lord, we want to learn to trust you. We want to learn to enjoy being your children. Enjoy life in your house. God, pour your love into our hearts. In Jesus' name.